0: you know, as a person of color with a disability, i um, trying to really just showcase this is what humans look like, no matter what. And just like, we are out here and we're having fun, just like, you know, the majority that some of these spaces are.
1: Welcome to the Vermont Conversation, I'm David Goodman. Vasu Sojitra was an undergraduate at the University of Vermont and wanted to join his friends to go backcountry skiing but he faced a challenge. Vasu has only one leg. At the age of nine months, Vasu's right leg was amputated following a serious blood infection. So Vasu and his friends attached a snowshoe to ski poles to enable him to backcountry ski. Vasu graduated UVM in 2013, and his remarkable pursuits as an adaptive athlete became the subject of a 2014 film, Out on a Limb. Sojitra has continued breaking barriers, both as an adaptive athlete and a racial justice advocate. He has climbed the Grand Teton, and in 2021, he and fellow adaptive skier Pete McAfee did the first disabled descent of Denali, the highest peak in North America. Sojitra is the first adaptive athlete for the North Face and is a co-founder of the Inclusive Outdoors Project. He currently lives in Bozeman, Montana. I began by asking Vasu to tell his story.
0: I grew up in Connecticut. I was born in Connecticut. um, And around the age of nine months old, I contracted septicemia, which is a blood infection, and it was pretty severe, so they had to amputate my right leg. Um, After I got out of the hospital, uh, we decided to move back to India, to Gujarat, where my parents grew up. Uh, for about five years so spent most of my early development as a child down there Um, and it was definitely an interesting much different culture than the states of course and um, I had a prosthetic leg at the time I was kind of switching between prosthetic legs a walker crutches whatever I didn't have broken at the time Um, we would ship that medical equipment back and forth to the states just because I kept breaking it or outgrowing it so because of that uh, we decided to move back to the states back to Connecticut Um, and around the age of seven is when I moved back when we moved back uh, to Glastonbury Connecticut and then uh, around the age of 10 I learned how to ski at a local ski hill called Ski Sundown Um, and that's kind of where I fell in love with skiing a little bit it was kind of serendipitous because on that same first day that I went skiing um, I ran into another Uh, skier with one leg at this, you know, random little small ski hill on my first day. It was kind of like, a don't even know, like really serendipitous, coincidental. Um, And that kind of motivated me to keep looking into the adaptive sports world a little bit more. Um, Based on that, I kept going more and more, got my own specialized equipment, outriggers, uh, single ski boots, all that kind of stuff. Took a little bit of convincing to my parents just because we were still kind of like, lower middle class when it came to class. So uh, trying to, I mean, skiing is very expensive as an entry. So, you know, convincing them to get us some ex- expensive gear was definitely quite the conversation. Um, Were they
1: skiers I, at all? Had they ever done it? No,
0: not at all. They, I kind of fell far from the tree when it came to cold weather activities. So <laughs> they, they all, me, my brother, or my brother and my parents despise the cold, whereas I'm kind of like, I thrive in it. So... Yeah, much, much different (laughs) compared. Um, And yeah, Was that
1: part of what led you to the University of Vermont?
0: Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, so, you know, fell in love with skiing, went a bunch, um, started, you know, learning how to drive. And me and a few friends that I made through skiing decided to go all the way to Vermont a bunch throughout the weekends and stuff. Kind of fell in love with the vibes of Vermont, uh, decided wanting to go to University of Vermont. Um, parents, of course, wanted me to stay close. And that was kind of close enough, I think, for me. Um, so, yeah, decided to go up there. And um, throughout my career at University of Vermont, I was going for a um, mechanical engineering degree. And using that kind of that mindset, I was, you know, created my own equipment to get myself into the backcountry with the help of a few friends um, in the outing club at University of Vermont. So that was kind of the um, catalyst into some of the stuff that I get into now, um, that kind of put me on a mat on the map as a pro athlete, um, as an adaptive athlete. And then, you know, that kind of snowballed into media, publicity, you know, showcasing what, you know, adaptive athletes can do when right resources are, um, available and accessible and, you know, just started signing with different companies. And that's kind of what brought me to where I am today.
1: So people are accustomed, particularly in Vermont, to seeing adaptive athletes. There's some, you know, really well-developed programs here at a number of the downhill ski resorts, but backcountry skiing is another animal. And you've really had to kind of invent your own techniques. Um, Talk about how you've figured out how to backcountry ski and ski uphill with skins and do all these things that adaptive athletes are you know, it's, it's, you're in new ground.
0: Yeah, definitely kind of breaking that glass ceiling to a certain point, like cliche glass ceiling. Um, but it was, it kind of all started with that love of skiing. And then also, you know, during the summers, me and my friends would go on hikes and kind of explore the trails in Vermont, um, really enjoying that part of it all. And then, you know, watching ski movies as a college student, enjoying you know, folks getting into the backcountry, getting into these like really, you know, empty areas with less humans and less traffic, um, really kind of sparked an interest in me and my friends to be able to do the same thing. Um, So I started like researching a little bit, saw, you know, another individual using this kind of rig to get up the hill. It didn't seem like he was, you know, going too far, but it was still helping him propel uphill. so I made something, it was kind of like the version one of my snowshoe baskets that I use now, but, uh, you know, use that um, in the Bolton backcountry, which is fairly accessible backcountry skiing when it comes to Vermont. And uh, that immediately, like about 100 yards in, it immediately broke. So me and my friend just turned around and went back to the car and like went back to the drawing board, um, started you putting just like little skins on the bottom of my outriggers that worked depending on conditions Um, if it was firm which you know most of the time New England is it worked fine but if it was powder I would just be post-holing all the way up the hill and it was exhausting so me and my friends went back to the drawing board and started like kind of tinkering around in the outing club house at UVM and just seeing what would work to provide more surface area And finally, like, ran across these, like, snowshoe attachments extenders for MSR snowshoes and just started to, like, figure out how to attach those to the bottom of my outriggers. And, you know, I've been using the same ones ever since that, you know, one day that we figured that out in that outing club and trying to pass it on to other adaptive athletes that are interested in getting in the backcountry as well. So it was quite a little process for sure.
1: So you're still working with the setup that you devised at the UVM outing club?
0: Yeah, so I actually gave that original one to another athlete. Her name is Kira Brzezinski, and she's based out of Jackson Hole. Um, and that was kind of a like a bittersweet moment, of course. I was like handing over my prize possession <laughs> pretty much. But uh, I also made like better ones, you know, next version up uh, that work better with the newer outriggers I have. So it was kind of a, you know, version two, I guess, 2.0 Um which yeah, which is of course kind of the same, same thing, same concept, but just a little little tweak, a little better for what I do.
1: We've focused on the uphill. Is that in fact the biggest, the most challenging part of backcountry skiing for an adaptive athlete?
0: Uh, without a doubt, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is definitely very difficult, very strenuous on my arms and shoulders and hands and everything. So, um, you know, pretty much using my arms as legs and. Uh, for miles and miles and miles and vertical feet too so you know it is it definitely is very exhausting to a certain point but you know the the one thing I've realized as a crutch user since you know pretty much nine months old is my body has developed those muscles for a very very long time which has helped me you know be fit enough to be able to do this for hours on end whereas you know folks that might be going through you know, trauma or an accident later in their life that are getting into this stuff, it might be a little bit more difficult because their bodies are not used to it just yet. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely been a been, I guess, you know, a silver lining (laughs) to an earlier injury than maybe later in my life.
1: What are some of the um, accomplishments you are proudest of that you've done as an outdoor athlete?
0: Um, you know, when I was coming up, it was definitely skiing things like Tuckerman Ravine and you know, bigger lines in the Chick Chocks in northern Quebec, um, and then also in the Adirondacks and the Green Mountains, um, really cool lines there. And then moving out to Montana, a lot of you know, epic lines in the backcountry from the Great One, um, to you know, um summiting the grand Teton to skiing Mount Moran. And then this also this past year skiing off of Denali as one of the two adaptive athletes to do so in the world. So, Hmm. um, that was, that was a really cool monumental accomplishment to do with another adaptive athlete. Uh, definitely very, very strenuous and brutal, but, um,
1: Talk about that. What, how long did it take you to get up Denali and what was the descent like for you?
0: Um, so the time frame was actually pretty average for um for us when it compared to non-disabled teams as well. So it was a team of six, two of us um qualified as someone with a disability. We both are leg amputees. Uh Pete uses a prosthetic leg when he's going uphill and then he pops it off and puts it in his backpack and then skis down the same way I do. Um so it took us about 15 days to get up, which is fairly average actually. 15 to like 17 days just due to acclimatizing and, you know, the um, that whole process and just moving slow and weather windows and all that kind of stuff. And then um, it took us about two days to get down. So uh, around a total of 17 days to do the whole trip.
1: What was the skiing off of Denali like?
0: Uh, we definitely all cried at the top. <laughs> it was very emotional and it was very, you know, powerful moment for all of us. Um, Really cool to do that as, you know, a first. Um, It was a
1: first, uh, not for a person with disabilities, but a first for descent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I liked I liked to name it as the first disabled descent. I really like the word disabled. Um, I try to pride myself in having a disability. So I usually claim it as that, but, you know, of course there's people with a disability that do not like the word and try to like, you know, balance the, Verbiage, but yeah, it was the first um, adaptive descent of Denali um, by myself and Pete McAfee and that was fairly, I'd say, monumental for the you know disabled community just to see that happen and see what is capable when you know people are provided access and opportunities at a young age uh, to be able to do a lot of this stuff. What made you cry at the top? Ah, uh, the fact that it pretty much was a culmination of everything I know about skiing and everything I know that my body is capable of um, is definitely pushing my limits as a human and my spirit as a human. Definitely a lot of moments where the altitude was definitely uh, very difficult for my body. And then also, you know, just seeing the team, get affected by, you know, team dynamics to the altitude, to the weather, to food, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. It was just like a full culmination of what our bodies were capable of. And it was just such a, just like a culmination of all of those all coming together with, you know, the cherry on top of being able to summit and then ski down as, you know, again, the first people with a disability to do so. So that was, you know, just a very, very powerful moment uh, for all of us to be able to take part in.
1: Now you say it took two days to descend. You know, people have the image of, oh, you ski off the top and you just go down. Um, what is skiing on Denali like?
0: <laughs> it is. Uh, it's very hit or miss because it's such at such high altitude and also such high latitude. Um, the the sun is super powerful and it's super windy, so the snow is very hit or miss. It's either a sheet of ice or crunchy or wind hit or you know, just all over the place. So you can't really get consistent turns all the way down. And the fact that skiing at altitude, um, your body, I mean, definitely my body was having a really hard time linking more than three or four turns before I needed to take a break and just take like 10 deep breaths before moving again. Um, it's kind of outrageous how much like aerobic threshold our bodies need when it comes to skiing. You know, you wouldn't think skiing... You need to like breathe that much but you know once you're at that high altitude it really really is impactful so that was that was super difficult to work around but you know we slowly made it down safely um and then once uh um yeah once we once we made it down uh to around 17 camp it took us a bit to um unpack and repack all of our gear um, and then also boiling water at 17,000 feet, it takes about an hour and a half. So it's quite the process there.
1: Vasu, what do you hope others get take away from your ascent and descent of the highest peak in North America?
0: Um, as I said before, it's I again like a culmination of a lot of the access that I've been provided as a person growing up as a disabled person. Um, not, I know a lot of people, a lot of people in like similar situations when it comes to amputations, don't have similar access to opportunities and resources. In this case, skiing, skiing opportunities um, when it came to gear and tickets and transportation and mentorship and all these things that I know lined up really well for me as I grew up. So, um, you know, and this kind of pinnacle of, you know, the highest peak in North America is kind of like that symbolizes for me at least like like what is possible when you're provided access and opportunity especially as someone as a marginalized person as someone in a world that you know usually is othered and looked at as othered or pitied down on as a disabled person so the fact that like we're able to do this and do it successfully in our eyes and you know accomplish this and like showcase it um hopefully you know paints a picture for folks that like you know when people are provided access to, you know, all these different opportunities that kind of start lining up throughout our lives. We are able to achieve these amazing successes. Um, and whatever that version of success may be for me, it was skiing off of Denali for someone else. It might be just, you know, uh, riding a horse independently, whatever it may be. So that's kind of the, the idea for me uh, behind being able to share these stories um, to, to, you know, a broader audience.
1: Why do you embrace the term disabled uh, when so many people you know, like to be referred to as people with a disability, not a disabled person? What does it mean to you to say you're a disabled um, person? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely kind of interweave the two phrasings very much though. So. And for me, uh, I don't think the word disabled is a bad thing. I think it's the lack of access that we have and the lack of opportunities that disabled folks have when it comes to um, living a life uh, around well-being. And that's that's just why I'm very much proudful of having disability. As long as there's going to be people on this world, there's going to be disabled people on this world. Um, but once we start normalizing disability, once we start normalizing and representing disabled people in mainstream media, in leadership, in all of these spaces, then people are going to start realizing that disability is not a bad thing. It's those Again, those lack of opportunities that many of us have had or have not have had um, that cause us to, you know, pity our disability or don't, you know, um, accept that word as much. Um, So that's kind of my idea behind it. Of course, that takes a lot of healing and a lot of process and a lot of internal work to be able to get to that point. But, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And that's kind of what I'm trying to showcase other people that it's okay to be disabled. It's just not okay how other people treat you when you are disabled or, you know, treat you poorly when it comes to that or the limited access that people might have, you know, maybe you're on the outdoors, let's say in my case, but you know, a lot of people run into issues around healthcare and education and um, any kind of care that they need to live again, a well meaned life. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with, with that phrasing.
1: You co-founded the Inclusive Outdoors Project. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that is.
0: Yeah, so myself and Sophia Bilski co-founded the Inclusive Outdoors Project, and we are working to provide affinity spaces within mountain sports, so primarily backcountry skiing, ice climbing, uh, mountaineering, rock climbing, trail running, all these things, and affinity spaces pretty much are caring and brave spaces for folks with marginalized identities so again uh communities of color communities with disabilities uh queer communities um so primarily folks that have kind of been left out of the conversation um when it comes to the you know more mainstream outdoor narrative so we're trying to create these more intentional spaces that are very much centered around these communities and getting them more involved in pretty much the sports that I love. I want people to be able to get more involved. So I'm not, again, the only person skiing off of Denali or, you know, the only disabled person on the North Face team, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, that's kind of the idea is to just expand that population and opportunity and provide mentorship and growth for these communities that have usually been left out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the idea.
1: Why and what do you think it will take and why do you think that the world of outdoor sports is so predominantly white?
0: Um, there's been a lot of, for me, I view it as like this generational wealth and hoarding of resources and opportunities and just not being able to share um, when it comes down to it. And people, especially based on our history of the U S and um, a lot of marginalized folks have been really impacted and kind of secluded and redlined into their own spaces that are, you know, limiting opportunities and limiting these resources to learn about these spaces, learn about these sports um, and activities that are not, in my eyes, not just white sports. Um, So that's kind of what I think has caused it. And as we again, create more intentional spaces that provide resources and opportunities for disabled folks, queer folks, uh, folks of color, like it's, I think it's going to create more and more of a wave that starts, you know, getting more people out there, getting more people comfortable with these activities uh, the way that they feel most comfortable with them in the ways that they feel kind of showcases their culture. Um, So that's, that's been kind of, you know, my thought process behind why, why it's been, um, you know, kind of exclusive, like very exclusive. Um, and I think there's definitely a big movement to make it more inclusive.
1: You have, you know, broken so many barriers as you look around you now, and you look ahead, which barriers are the toughest that confront you now?
0: Um, I think actually some of the toughest ones are within our own communities and convincing them there is a problem um some of sometimes convincing you know people with disabilities that access is the problem, not our disability or like folks of color that racism is a really big issue, and that's going to impact not just your livelihood but the livelihood of everyone in your community um Those are some of the bigger ones, and that's kind of I think ones that have really impacted me the most when it comes to like my own emotions um but, you know, it's it's a slow process. Healing takes a lot of time and energy and intentionality and creating these spaces that we can have these more vulnerable conversations with. Because, you know, when I take part in these adaptive sports programs or these create these clinics and opportunities for other folks, it's really not about the activity at all. It's about just creating these spaces where people feel like themselves, that they can share these vulnerable topics to, you know, create this like, internal healing that might be needed to be able to, again, feel included, feel empowered, um, to, you know, go through the world as, you know, as a human instead of feeling othered. So that's the, that's kind of the, again, idea when it comes to just not my work as an athlete, but also with the programming, with Inclusive Outdoors, with building relationships with all these adaptive sports orgs and um, orgs that are impacting native and black and brown communities. So you know, that's, that's the intentions behind it all.
1: And finally, just uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what you see for your future, what you hope to be doing. And...
0: Yeah. Um, right now, I'm kind of balancing some pro-athleticism and creating marketing and media around representation, you know, as a person of color with a disability, I'm trying to really just showcase this is what humans look like Um, no matter what, and just like we are out here and we're having fun, just like, you know, the majority that some of these spaces are. Um, And then also with that, trying to get more folks out there um, with the Inclusive Outdoors Project, just trying to provide more clinics within the sports that I love, and I want to share those opportunities with folks. And then on the other side, I'm also doing a bit of strategy and consulting work within the outdoor industry, to um, create, again, um, conversations and action steps for organizations to be more inclusive around race and disability and all the intersecting identities that are out there that make us all human. So those are kind of all of the spokes that I'm, um, I dabble in and take part in.
1: What's the next big hill you plan to climb?
0: Um, I am hoping to attempt... Mont Blanc in Chamonix. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And when can we expect to see see that story?
0: Uh I'll be attempting it sometime in April, early May, as long hmm. as you know COVID and all those restrictions hold off. And then um, hope to document it. It's again, I try not to do these alone. I'd like to really encapsulate other stories into it as well so I'm doing it with another adaptive athlete another uh, leg amputee who's a really strong skier Um, Craig Kemp who's based out of Bozeman Montana as well and we've kind of grown a relationship over the years and he invited me to do this and yeah hopefully we're able to kind of showcase that story in a to a broad you know wider audience and be able to you know again keep expanding this narrative around what it means to be disabled in the outdoors what it means to be a person of color in the outdoors you know any of that so that's yeah hopefully soon enough
1: (laughs) well good luck and uh thanks so much for joining us Vasu, on the vermont conversation
0: yeah deeply appreciate it thanks for having me
1: That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org vermontconversation Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.